start small, be methodical with your purchases. You might think you need X, Y, and Z to do your job. How can you go about doing that with what you have? Let's say it's a small business that wants to start doing website design. You don't need Adobe Creative Suite. You don't need this, you know, $500, you know, a month piece of equipment to do stuff. How can you figure out how to do it with a text editor? How can you figure out how to do it with what you have on your computer? Or what can you use the trial for? Because a lot of these companies give you trials for a month. Try it for a month. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, uh, Seth Goldstein. And as a quick introduction to, to Seth, um, so or in high school, wanted to start or, want, or got into uh, doing web design as a junior and uh, wanted to do some digital marketing, but that didn't exist in 2000. So went into or went to, or to college and got a major in history and journalism to learn how to write and fell in love with journalism um, and then also started doing websites on the side as well did journalism for about six years, got burned out with that. Um, so decided to go full-time into web uh, web design. And uh, for the first five years was uh, figuring out how to do that. Had a uh, son that was born, decided to go back to corporate America for a bit of time. Decided did love corporate America, but learned a lot about business. So left corporate America and started his own thing and been doing it ever since. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Seth. Hey, Devin. Well, that's it. Now, see you guys out later. He sums it up the <laughs> that's whole That's right. Story. Just like the old Seinfeld, you'll leave on a high note. So Leave on a high note. No, absolutely. No, that's exactly kind of how it worked. So I, no, I gave, people, yeah, yeah. No, I gave people, the, the brief and condensed version of it, but let's let's take a, a bit a journey back in time to high school and yeah. hear the full or full-size version of the, the journey. So tell us a little bit about how the journey got started in high school for you. Well, the journey got started. Everyone in, co- in a college, in high school, knew I was going to be a journalist before I did. I started the school paper, which then fizzled after I left the high school. But, you know, it, they all, everyone knew when I came back after college to visit and say hi to people. They're like, oh, we knew you were going to be a journalist. Hmm. And I'm like, how? They're like, well, school paper. You ran the school paper. I'm like, oh, okay. I just thought that was for fun. I just thought I was being creative. No, but they actually thought that, you know, I was going to be a journalist. And sure enough, I was. Um, but I also, because I really liked web design. I like being creative, like creating things. So the idea of me doing the newspaper in high school was, was that I went to a small prep school, two hour, a two-hour train trip, hour train trip away from my house. So I had to accept the, you know, Southeastern Regional, whatever the heck SEPTA stands for, um, took the regional rails, you know, into Philadelphia and then out to the Western suburbs from the Northern suburbs every day. So four hours round trip. So I had plenty of time to kill. So I was like, let me think about what I can do during this time. God forbid I did my homework, you know, God forbid, but I did my homework, but that was quick. And I got that done. And then I, they gave us all laptops back then. These were a lot bulkier than we have now. And, and there's no Wi-Fi back then or anything like that. So I, what, what can I do on this computer? No internet at the time, you know. There was internet, but not on the trains. What could I do? Sure. So I opened up, I opened up, PageMaker or, or Publisher, one of the two, and started just fooling around in there. I'm like, let me start a school paper. 
the little prep schools that they're very all about us having you know, these side projects these side hustles so i did that and i got some kids to write for it i was the only junior and senior that was in the respective years was allowed in the staff lounge to print it out on you know, white copy paper so i was the only one i had that privilege like go for it Seth. so i did that then one of the development director's son was doing web design and he came he and his wife their team came to our, our career day and started talking about web design they're like this i'm like this is cool the web was kind of it was aol-y but it was right after AOL. It's right when people were like, oh, I can actually go to the web and type www something and get somewhere down to press buttons. And so I, I started doing that. I helped build out the school's web, first website, which is when that was like a little extra credit, fun little activity we did. Did that, went off, went off to the University of Delaware. And I'm like, I want to do advertising. I want to do web design. Didn't really exist. I mean, it was all kind of wild west back then. And so I was like, well, what can I do? I don't want to take accounting. I do not want to take accounting. I wish I took some business classes. I did not. But I went and I was like, well, journalism kind of shows I can write and history shows I can write. Keep in mind they're two different, complete different writing styles. One's big, long, convoluted paragraphs. One's like every sentence is a paragraph. Mm -hmm. So I always got A's in my history classes in college, but never got A pluses because I could never write like a historian ever. Because I, they were all come, I couldn't, I could not form a paragraph in my head because I was so used to writing for the eye. But anyhow, long story short, I actually talked to now President Biden, he was a senator at the time, a University of Delaware grad, go blue hands. And he was walking by the press office apparently when I was talking to him on the phone. That's something Delaware related. And he got on the phone with me and started talking to me. Nice guy, definitely a genuinely nice guy, regardless of what you think of his politics or anything like that. He is a sweet guy. And he's like, I know the review, I'm an alumni, and we talked for like a half an hour. And at that point, I was like, this is cool. I got like bitten by the bug of journalism. Mm -hmm. And so I got out of college, joined an um, evening paper out in South Central Pennsylvania called the Evening Sun. Did that for seven months, evening conference reporting. So a lot of gnarly stuff, cars wrapped around trees and poles. No murders or anything, because nothing happens out in South Central Pennsylvania. There's more cows than there are humans. But those humans get a little lax with their driving skills and crash the cars. And that was, that's a whole nother story. So we left that, went back to, back to the East Coast of Pennsylvania and worked for the local paper here for the remainder of my career. And it was township, township store, stories, you know, arguing with the township supervisors like, yeah, please give me your tax records. I need to see them open law, you know, sunshine law and all that stuff. So I did all that, got out of that, and I went into sales for a little bit. While I was doing that, my wife, my now wife, my then girlfriend and fiance is like, Seth, you're, you're miserable. You don't want to do sales, necessarily sales. No, back me, just one question before that. So you were in journalism and then you jumped over to the sales. So was that kind of the interim, you're burned out with journalism saying, I don't necessarily want to do that. So what made you go to sales? It was a job. <laughs> <laughs> it paid the bill it, it, it was literally something that like everyone's like hey you're social you're friendly try this kind of one of those things you go on the monster.com you go on the career builder and every, there's tons of sales shops so i worked for a small a, um, a national not a small a national container company selling big container boxes hmm. to construction sites anyhow so that long story short i went into web design because my wife's like you should need to get a portfolio put together so you can get get the job you have to have experience to get the experience, that whole rigmarole. 
did that, went back to university arts, got a certificate in web design. I did that for five years before I realized I need to get a full-time job because my son was born. He had some complications at birth. He's fine now. And so I went into corporate America, you know, whereas you went to school for nine years, as we talked on my podcast, <laughs> the sure. MBA did JD, all that stuff. I did, I did the, the, the journalism degree, but then I did it in real life MBA where I kind of figured out, oh, okay, this is what business is. Oh, here's some business experience. Wow. I should have taken some business courses. So got after about a year there, I was like, I don't like corporate America. I just don't. I am an entrepreneur. I like being creative and all that stuff. Left, left corporate America, went back into Gold CME again. And I've been there ever since. And but I, I don't regret my time in corporate America because I learned a lot more. The second version of Gold CME was a lot less of a cluster than the first one. So, No, and you know, it's interesting because I'll give you this, a little bit of a parallel in the sense that, you know, as you're well aware, and we talked before, I, I run my own law firm and I love it. And I think it's a, a great thing. But I worked for, you know, big law firm for, it was, you know, AM Law 100, big firm, lots of yeah. attorneys for about, you know, uh, several years of my career. That's and corporate. Yet, and that, that is corporate that, you know, for law, that's corporate. And I kind of had the same realization, not that I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but I just say it, I don't fit well within. And I like to do my own thing and have my own direction, do things differently. And I think a lot of times better. And so when I was looking at it, basically saying, you know, I wouldn't change it. I would still go to get that corporate experience because it gave me a lot of great resources for how I'm going to, you know, good tools for how I'm going to run my own law firm in the sense of, you know, what are good practices? What should I be considering? And then I said, and the things I don't like, I'll just throw out the window. But I think that it's, it's one that is just because you don't, the experience isn't Absolutely. one where you want to do long-term, it can still offer a lot of expertise and a lot of good experience. Yeah, when I learned it, when I went, both these experiences, journalism, like everything you learn in college, they say throw out, you had the basis, but learn in the real world. Everything in sales is like, you know, I'm glad I took that year of sales because it was like a sales training. I don't know how to do it because when you're running your own business, you kind of got to sell. It doesn't matter which business you're in, you're always in the sales business in the sense always. that you, whether it's a product, a service or anything else. If people are going to pay you for something, you have to be able to sell them or be able to explain it to them. So I always think sales experience is always good, mm. no matter what you're doing. Oh, absolutely, and, and especially as a lawyer too. I mean, I'm sure you're like because you have to sell and you have a big price tag. So it's like you know, with web design, I we have, I mean, basic website for me is around sixty five hundred dollars. I had to sell that. This is yep. the value of this. This is the reason why you want to pay this versus going on Fiverr, and that's the whole idea is that you got to sell sell the value, sell the, you know, hey, you're also dealing with me. You like my personality. You like working with me, that kind of thing. So the sale, every bit of experience I've had, there's been no, no regrets because everything is built upon experience. No, and I think that that's, that's definitely a good point. So now you say, okay, did corporate America, didn't like that, got the sales experience, want to do my own thing. So what made you decide? I mean, I know you'd had that interest earlier and you kind of done it off and on, but how did you decide, okay, I'm just going to make the leap and I'm going to go do web design for my full-time gig and see if I can make it go of it. Ironically, the first, at least we have Goldsmith version one, version two. Both of them were like, well, the first one was like, you're going to get a job, Seth. That's my, that was my now wife said, you're going to get a job. The whole idea is to get the experience to get the job. Turns out, I didn't want to get the job. I kind of she realizes that now that I kind of didn't want to get the job. I kind of like to enjoy being my, on my own. But also once you get into an entrepreneur mindset, it's hard to get out of it and be the work for the man, work for the woman, work for the person. 
And mm. that's the thing. And I realized that I, I, I'm completely unhirable now. I'm hireable to work with a company. I'm hireable to, you know, I, I work with some big startups. And, you know, they bring me in. I have to work on their timetable. I work on, you know, we meet weekly and all that stuff. But still, I'm my own boss. Like, I can tell them, all right, this isn't working. See you later. And I can go leave. And, you know, bad thing there is I don't get the unemployment. Hmm. That's the bad thing. But other than that, I mean, I, I, I've, I've liked being an entrepreneur. I, my brain's meant for that. I feel like people have the brain for it or they don't. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And some people think they have the brain for it and still don't, but that's a different. But you got to try it though. I mean, that's I, oh, I completely. But I think even, yeah, that's a complete aside. But I think even the people that don't have the brain for it, the thing they do, go out and try it, see if you'd like it. And if you don't, then you know that you don't want to do that anymore. And it's kind of okay. You tried I, it. Tried, you tried I tried it. it and it's not for me. And I will go and be happier where I'm at because I know that it's not something I want to do. But so now, now following on to your journey is, okay, you decided, okay, I, I don't want to do corporate America. I got some good experience. I want to go do my own thing. I'm going to do web design. So you make that leap. Now, was it a good leap? Was it, you know, hey, I started the business day one. I was making raking in the dough and I had lots of clients. <laughs> was it a slow burn and a slow build and figuring out how you reach people or kind of how did you go about doing that? Well, version one was a dumpster fire. I'll tell you that right off the bat. Like I had no idea what the heck I was doing. Um, ticked off a bunch of clients, you know, figured stuff out and all that stuff. Version two came out of corporate America, kind of having my head screwed on a little bit straighter and really figured out that I need to have a process in place. I need to have the stuff written down. I have to have things, you know, I have to say, hey, do I need a designer? And I have a designer now that I work with. Do I have, do I need a copywriter? I, I, you, you have to realize what, do what you, you're good at and hire for the rest. I'm sure, Devin, you have a paralegal. You can't yeah. do everything. I'm sure you have other lawyers in your firm too, because you can't do it all yourself. You know, there's a part of me that wishes I could do it. I think there's always a part of entrepreneurs that think they can always do it themselves. And then as you grow and get big, you're like, okay, I, even if I could do it all myself, I don't have the time to do it all myself. So I do have four, you also have four kids. And I mean, if you want to have, you know, you have to even outsource to them sometimes too. So it's like, exactly. So, so now you, so you did, okay. Version one was a dumpster fire. But you said, okay, coming out of corporate America, got the experience and I'm going to do it a bit different, which will hopefully yes. work better. What was that difference? Kind of what did you learn and how did you make the second go around better than the first? It was the processes. I learned in corporate America. I worked for a subsidiary of Merck. And so it was, I mean, I really went into corporate America, not like small business America, but corporate, corporate America. And realizing that how there's standard operating procedures Everything had a place. Hmm. Now, I'm telling you right now, five, six years out of that, you know, version two, not everything has, has its place. You can look at my desk and everything has its place now either, even in the physical world. But the idea was is that with processes, I'm able to be more efficient with my time, realizing that I shouldn't be doing all the design work myself. I should be the one that's doing the biz dev, going out there and it goes back to sales, you know, going back and selling but I'm, the thing is, I think the different thing with that with sales is that I was selling Kinex boxes, to construction sites. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a salesperson for everything, but I wasn't selling something I was passionate about. Whereas now I'm selling something I'm really passionate about and I love and I can talk about it inside and out and upwards and downwards and all that stuff. And I'm able to really be passionate and people see how passionate I am about it. And they're like, I want to work with that guy because he seems, because they don't know until they work with me, that he seems to know what he's talking about. And he, but he's fun to work with. And I want to be that guy that's fun to work with. You know, I want to be the guy that can actually get the solution out there for the person, deliver a website on a reasonable timetable, 
and not jerk their chains in any way, you know? Because there's a lot, I mean, web design, just like in the legal profession, there are snake oil people in there. And I have to yeah, prove that I'm and, not one of them. <laughs> I know, and I, I absolutely agree on the snake oil. And, you know, those are the people that give the attorneys a bad name. And it's like, ah, like, we're not all like that, trust me. But it, it you know, you have to, and, but that's the same thing on web design. Because, you know, earlier on, I designed our first website and now we have somebody that done a compl- much better job. I think we did a, I did a decent job, but it was one that I was not a designer and I've come to find out I am not the person that makes it look nice. I can have the conceptual, the idea, the direction of what I want to accomplish, but to make it Absolutely. look polished and just out of the park, I have to rely on someone else. And I think that that's something that you kind of come to figure out, you know, where are your strengths? What are the places you can really add value? That's where you focus your time and the things that, yes, you might be able to do if you had enough time, but you're not going to add that same level of value. That's where you need to hand those off. Oh, absolutely. And knowing that and being brave enough to do that. But just also another thing is just because you hand something off, doesn't mean your hands off. It means yeah. you hand it off. You still have to kind of keep an eye on it because regardless of how good the person you hand it off to is every once in a while, I mean, they drop the ball, but if they drop the ball, you're dropping the ball because yeah. the buck <laughs> stops with you. Not them. You can't say, well, my designer dropped the ball. Who cares? You're the one I'm dealing with. You drop the ball, you fix it. So the idea is you have to stay on everybody. You don't want to micromanage. Micromanage is, managing is the worst thing, but you want to at least check in and say, hey, how's this going? How's this going? Uh, right. and a lot of fun tangents. I definitely agree. And I, you know, I think that's one thing that my, my philosophy is you start, you give them a little bit of rope. You keep, you know, you start, they start out, you give them some training, give them a very small amount of rope, and they have to basically earn the trust because Mm -hmm. you're right if you if something gets screwed up the people that or the the client isn't going to come to the person that you you know that did that thing they're going to come to the boss and say what are you going to do to fix this this is messed up and what what am i paying you for and you're going to be the one to fix it so you still have to have that accountability now i'm going to refocus or just shift back to the journey a little bit so now absolutely you made the shift you said okay 2.0 learn my lessons from corporate i'm going to do it a bit different and i definitely agree on you know processes and and having that in place so you have that all figure you start to get that figured out now how long have you been doing the the version 2.0 and how long you've been offering that service six years it's been six years since corporate and i think it's, it's been a total of i'd say i've been doing i've been doing it you know, above board where the IRS knows about me since 2000, <laughs> 2008, the best time to start a job. You know, right yeah, the, go, wait, wait till there's a, a crash in the economy and then go start a job. Why not? Exactly. People can really afford websites then. Luckily, then I was charging a lot less than I am now. So they were like, oh, we can afford it. We can afford that, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know? No, and I, but I think that. So now you've do, been doing it for six years now. So you have the better corporate experience, but how has that six years gone? Meaning, has it just been a rocket ship to the top and it's been nonstop growth and bringing out oh, clients? Been bumps. There... It's, it's definitely been bumps. And especially with COVID, shockingly, I was about the same as I was in 2019 as it turned out to be in 2020. I didn't make more money because it was COVID for crying out loud. But a lot of people, I, was, I, I actually positioned myself not knowingly for a for a job that everyone needed someone help on, they mm. needed to get online. They needed an e-commerce store. They needed some SEO help. They needed everything went online because nothing in the real world, in the, in the physical world, could be de- dealt with. Because we had a freaking pandemic. You know, we we didn't, and we didn't. And the thing about that is, we didn't know what we know now about COVID. That like you can touch things and not really get it. It's airborne, which is I'm not sure much better than touching things. But regardless. Last year, 
and this year in 2021 has been gangbusters because I've been able to capitalize on the fact that that you need to be online. You need to have an online storefront for your store. You need to have that presence for your legal firm, your consulting company. You can't because mm. you're not going out and shaking hands as much. You're doing it on, over Zooms. And as good as that is, it's not nearly as good as is knocking on doors. So it's been very good lately. But it's definitely it's entrepreneurship. It's it's a, it's a roller coaster. I mean, there's there's months where I'm like, my wife will look at me. She does my books, and she's like, you didn't bring anything in this month. I'm like, oh. it feels like I did because I've been working nonstop all month. But it just the check didn't land in that month. No, and I I think that you know it's interesting how you know going back to a little bit what you said of the COVID thing. You know, I, first of all, I'm tired of hearing about COVID, but oh, out of all, all of that, yeah. I think everybody is just completely fatigued with or hearing about COVID and everything that's going on with yeah. that. But I think that it, the interesting is, is, you know, is people that either realize it or position themselves well or already position were the ones that tended to pivot and thrive. And yet it's also interesting that you can have two businesses that are in the same and say, oh, COVID has been a blessing or, you know, in the sense that the business has been up or it's been a complete downer and they'll be in the same industry. And yet one will figure out how to navigate it into a adjust to it and, and adjust their sales process and their pitch and everything else. And others are just wanting to stick with the old way of doing it, which doesn't mm-hmm. lend itself well. So I think that it's great that you're able to figure that out or at least keep things moving forward. And, and if it, it was figured out for me, <laughs> which is always the best way to have it. So, so now you, so now that kind of catches us up to a present before we mm-hmm. dive to the last questions at the end, um, you know, just looking a bit into the future, the next six to 12 months, kind of where do you see things headed? What are the next steps for you? Really, I, I see myself pivoting more and more into optimization. And so you, you build the website, but you build the website and does it exist if no one knows it's there? It's like if a tree falls in the forest, it did fall because it's a physical object. If you build a website and it's just up there, no one knows it's there, all it is, it's a waste of hard drive space, literally. And so my goal is to get all my clients and help other companies get found online. So my big push is pushing my SEO expertise and all that next, you know, six 12 months out there and so far we're also we've also niched down the company a little bit we're focusing more on funded startups legal firms you know b2b companies that are helping other businesses get fat you know with their services and stuff and the since i live in the philadelphia area which is the biotech and life science capital of the world i'm focusing on the biotech sector for websites and optimization because it's like they're kind of like an offshoot of the startup world, just in the mm-hmm. you know biotech world. No, so that's I mean, my goals that, for the next few mo- few months. Hey, really hone on those. No, I think that that sounds like it'll be a fun and an exciting direction, and definitely one yeah. to keep an eye on. So. Well, now, as we do or start to wrap towards the end of the podcast, so, uh, we will jump to the uh, two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. Now, as a reminder to the, the listening audience, we are going to do the bonus question where we shift gears and talk a little bit about intellectual property, which is always a, a fun topic for me. So if you want to hear that or question and answer, make sure to stay tuned. If not, I understand it's not for everybody. No worries. But um, before we jump to that, the last two questions I ask on each episode, first question I always ask is, Along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made, and what did you learn from it? Oh, wow. That, that is a good one. Worst business experience that I've learned or thing I did was I overpromised, underdelivered. And it was something else. It was back before I got into WordPress. So it was 08, 09. And someone wanted a store. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. Because, of course, you fake it till you make it. 
Hmm. Eh, not always wise. And what I learned from it was that you don't fake it until you make it. You actually have to know what you're talking about first, or at least let them know that you're going to learn with them. Hmm. Prepare them with expectations saying, hey, I've never done this before. Here's a price break on what I'm going to give you so I can learn it. So I've done that recently with, a, with doing a learning management system for a client. I said, normally I'm going to probably charge, you know, five, six, seven, eight grand. I'm going to give it to you for a thousand because this is our time essentially. But we're going to learn how to build it out with you because we've never done one before. And mm. they were ecstatic. They're like, we'll be guinea pigs, you know, and because they're getting a huge price break and then we get to learn on the job. And that's what I learned is that like, if, if you're not, if you have to learn, don't fake that, you know, it just admit it, say, Hey, I love to learn with you and I'll do it for cheap because I have to figure it out, you know, and it might take eight weeks versus three or four. So. No, I, I think that is uh, definitely a good point. It is one that's hard because you always, your tendency is you always want to overpromise because then it, you can land the sale and they'll go with you. And, you know, you think, oh, well, you know, they'll, they'll still be happier. I'll, I'll figure it out. And yet, then when you overpromise, when you actually go to deliver, they're saying, well, you said you do all these things or it'd be different. And it ends up having the adverse. And so it's, I think to your point, much better to set realistic or, or, or you know, real or expectations are based on reality and then when you either meet those or you exceed them it's a much better experience than, oh, than getting to the end so i think that that is one it's easy to do because you're wanting to land the sell and you kind of feel like oh i'll make these promises and we'll we'll get we'll beat most of those expectations kind of like politicians usually do not mm. getting into politics but uh, you know so i think that that is a, a great uh, lesson to learn under promise over deliver it's absolutely opposite. flip that around yeah so now the second question I always ask is, you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Start small, be methodical with your purchases. You might think you need X, Y, and Z to do your job. How can you go about doing that with what you have? Let's say it's a small business that wants to start doing website design. You don't need Adobe Creative Suite. You don't need this, you know, $500 you know, a month piece of equipment to do stuff. How can you figure out how to do it with a text editor? How can you figure out how to do it with what you have on your computer or what can you use the trial for? Because a lot of these companies give you trials for a month. Mm -hmm. Try it for a month. See if you absolutely need the whole creative suite, which I pay for and I use maybe a third of. But for me, it makes more sense because what I need is all over the place in there. But maybe you only need one tool, and it might be $20 a month in that creative suite. And I'm not only busting Adobe. I love Adobe. But there's also alternatives. You can go to alternative2to.net, type in a, a software that's really expensive, and it gives you a bunch of alternatives to it mm -hmm. that are sometimes free. Like GIMP is a free version of Photoshop. In my opinion, not as good. Photoshop's been around since the 1980s. GIMP has been around since the 1990s. Mm-hmm different applications but look if you're just starting out there's free versions on the web that are free you're not ripping them off it's completely legal but you can do it with half the budget you don't need the best of the best to start off no and i think that that is definitely a, a good point and, it's, and especially because a knee jerk a lot of times 
as a as a business you're getting going, especially if you don't know, is oh, I, well, I work for a big corporate America, and this is what they use, and I need this mm-hmm. tool because this is a tool that it will get it done. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes they're just not a replacement. You have to pony up, but don't let that be your knee jerk reaction of because this is a tool that they use, I have to use this tool. It may be that you start out using the the free version or the less expensive version, and it's not quite as good, but it gives you the ability to get started. And then as you grow, and you're saying okay. Now we can afford those more expensive tools and it'll be beneficial, it'll be worthwhile. But a lot of times as you're getting started, go for the less expensive option to get started as you're figuring out. Because sometimes you also figure out the better tool isn't always better. And I don't need this cheap tool. I don't need that expensive tool. I need something completely different as you figure out your process. So I, I think that's a That a goes great, with podcast, And that's the same thing with podcasting too. You don't yep. need a giant mixer. You don't need the best of the best of the best mic. You don't need... You can use Zoom, which is perfectly fine. You don't need to use Riverside.fm or any of those other things. You can just start off small, get going, just do it. Yep, and I think that I think that that's a, I love it just because I think there's you know and, and as you grow you may think okay now we're at take the podcast now we're getting a bigger audience so maybe we'll get a bit a bit better microphone or a bit better lighting or mm-hmm. we'll use this platform because it you know will save my time and it'll decrease the amount of time it takes to process but as we get going you know, a lot of times you don't even know if you're if the podcast is going to work and if it's going to be a long term thing you're going to keep going so why go in and or invest a huge amount. When it's may or may not work for you, may or may not use it. So I think that's a great. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, now is before we get to the bonus questions, we wrap up the normal portion of the episode. If people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, (laughs) any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, or find out more? Best way to get in touch with me is go to Goldstein Media, G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N, media.com. You can find me usually as Seth Goldstein online. There is a more famous Seth Goldstein. Imagine that. Who's an action investor in Silicon Valley. So he's usually Seth on things. I'm usually Seth Goldstein. We get each other's tweets all the time. So we're always forwarding each other tweets. It's kind of funny. But um, so I'm usually Seth Goldstein everywhere. I'm usually the more vocal, loud, obnoxious one. So Seth Goldstein everywhere. Goldstein Media somewhere. You can find me on Entrepreneurs Enigma on multiple places. I have that.com. Digital Marketing Dives, the other podcast. And you know, look around. I'm pretty, I'm out there. So, All right. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, connect. And whether it's you're looking for a new website or you just want to make a new best friend, it's always a great option that, or a great uh, resource to have. Well, thank you again, Seth, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Make sure to also like, subscribe, share, because we want to make sure everybody finds out about our awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Well, now as we wrap up the normal portion of the episode, we're going right into the bonus question, which is always a fun thing because we get to shift gears a bit and uh, mm-hmm. talk about a something that's always near and dear to my heart, which is intellectual property. So with that much, um, turn it over to you to ask your top intellectual property question. All right. This, is on, this one happens all the time, being in web design. People always ask, is this trademarkable? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a web designer. And usually, you know, before I knew Devin, I'd be like, let me go ask this person over here or let me go ask, or let me go Google that, you know, but like <laughs> there's certain things I know that are trademarkable, like the logo clearly it can be trademarkable. It's a mark. You can see it, but there's other things out there. And I can't think of anything off the top of my head of what it is, but like, it's a, a probably can't, 
I can't trademark Seth Goldstein, obviously, because there's more out there. It'd be a mm. lot of lawsuits, and they wouldn't go anywhere. So, like, what is trademarkable? Yeah, and I'll kind of give an answer. What is trademarkable? What are some things that aren't aren't necessarily trademarkable or difficult to trademark a lot of times? So, generally, for trademarks, what is trademarkable is anything that's identifying of a source of goods and services. So let me unpack what that means is basically if that's a legal or the legal definition, I'll unpack it and put it in a little bit more plain speech, which is, so if you're providing a service or you're selling a product, if you have something with your brand that helps customers to know, Hey, this is a person that's selling this item or for selling the service. That's what a trademark is meant to or protect. So that's a lot of times why you think of a name of a company. A name of a company, it lets you know, this is the company that's selling me the product. I know who it is. I know if it's good quality or bad quality, or if they've been around for a while, they have a good reputation or not. Same thing with the name of a product. Hey, I know what this product is. I can go and look at the reviews or I can understand what the specifications are. So that's kind of why generally with trademarks, you'll see a name of a product. You'll see a name of a company, a logo, sometimes a catchphrase. You know, if you think of just do it or melts in your mouth, not in your hand, those are all catchphrases. You know which companies they go with. And so those are kind of source identification. It tells you who's selling things. Mm, Now, when you get into what are some of the things that are difficult to trademark, Something that is what's called, or first of all, if somebody else already has the trademark for something that's the same or a similar product or service, and they've already previously trademarked it, you can't go get a trademark. If you want to try and go get a trademark for the word Nike, and you're going to go sell athletic or sports gear and apparel, you're not going to be able to get it. It's already taken. Good luck. Go try it. Good luck. But, you know, so that's the first one. If it's already, somebody, now, if it's something that's completely different, you want to go do Nike um, and you want to go sell automobiles, then, you you know, you're two different, you're completely different industries, different goods and services. Now, don't go do it with Nike because they're really famous. But if you're to do something that's a little bit less famous, kind of yeah. that same idea is if you're completely different products, industries, then you're, you're typically, you're or more, uh, you're fine on that front. A couple other things you can't trademark or difficult, something that's merely descriptive. Now, what does merely descriptive mean? It means that it's really just a term that everybody uses to describe the product or the service. So give you an example. I want to go start a fruit stand and I want to sell the world's best apples. And I want to name my fruit stand Apple. Everybody is going to think that I'm just describing the product that I'm selling. I'm selling apples. That's how everybody refers to the fruit apples is an apple. So I really can't go and just simply try and trademark the word apple for my fruit stand because it describes exactly what my product is, exactly what I'm selling. People don't think about the brand. They just think that that's a fruit that I'm selling. Now, or you're selling go, computers. Or you're selling I was going to say, if I go sell smartphones and computers, nothing to do with the product. It's you know completely different, differentiated. Then you're fine. So that's another one that is you're, you, you can't do as if it's merely descriptive. The last one, and there are several, but the last one that's, that typically comes up is the one you hit on. It's difficult to trademark your a first name or a last name, a surname or something of that nature. And the reason is, is a lot of people have the name or that or have the same name. So if you think mm-hmm. of Miller, Miller, oh, is a very com- Miller is a very common last name. So guess what? I got two problems with trademarking the word of my company. I've got Miller and IP law. Miller is my last name, tons of Millers. IP law describes exactly what my services I'm offering are. And so I can't trademark Miller IP law, the words. Now I can trademark the logo, the look Mm -hmm. and the build, the logo, how it's designed, you know, how it has the, you know, the chalkboard on the angle and those type of Mm -hmm. things that I can trademark, but I can't go out and I can't just say, I can't stop other people that have the same last name Miller from going and starting to offer 
And it'd be great if I could, if I could stop everybody that has a last name from Miller from starting a law firm, that would be awesome. But it's not fair in the sense that you can use your last name as part of your name and it's mm-hmm. not it is something that you can't box people on. So those are usually the common mm-hmm. ones that pop up that you're not able to block or the things that you can trademark and things that you're or can't and you have or can't block people out from doing. So that's a much I could go in off for a long time, but that kind I'm of sure you a, could. <laughs> a basis and an idea. So that's a great question, definitely a fun one. So with that, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up this episode. Thank you again, again, Seth, for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's, it's so much fun. fun. It's been a pleasure and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you, sir.